All right, you're listening to another episode of the CTO Advisor Podcast. We're recording this fresh off of IBM Think 2023 in Orlando. With me, I have a fellow principal. I'll call you a principal, Tony. Tony Bear, principal of DB Insight. I think if you add a couple more analysts, you can be DB Insights. Tony, welcome to the show. First time you're on the show, right? <laughs> I only yeah, I think so. Thanks for having me, Keith. Um, and uh, thanks for crediting me for for plural insights. But but technically, to the world, I, I basically say I have one insight, and it's all about data. <laughs> it is all about data. And I thought you were the perfect guest to talk about IBM Watson X dot data. And it is part of their AI platform and tool set. Uh, it is superseding everything that you've known about Watson before. It has gone. Watson X is now in vogue. So Watson.ai, if you think about what Watson Studio and all that stuff was before, Watson Data will get into. And then Watson Governance is governance around data analysts. I did a great podcast with Larry Kavoa, uh, Tim Crawford, and Maribel Lopez, in which we went into some detail talking about Watson X. But I wanted to go specifically into detail around Watson X.data with you, Tony, because when I heard the announcement, the way that they described it was a data store to basically rule all data stores <laughs> and uh, something that makes uh, the sprawl of data stores and data lakes uh, disappear by adding yet another data lake. The, am I getting that announcement wrong? Like what, what, did, what, what is Watson data, and where's the value? You know, if you come from outside the data world, it's a little intimidating. If you're from inside the data world, um, the, the, the concept of a lake house may not be fully clear. It's in the concept that was actually, in terms of the terminology, was introduced about three or four years ago. Well, it, it's been debate on this. There was, there was a, a mention in a, you know, in a Snowflake you know, customer blog, I think, around 2017 or something like that. But in terms of really popularizing what the lake house is, we really have to credit that to Databricks. The short of it is, is that it's supposed to provide you the flexibility and the manageability um, and basically, the, you know, and the, and the consistency of a data warehouse, but with the storage of a data lake. And when I say storage of a data lake, this is basically object store. Um, that's the, that's the, the high level definition. Um, the, 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 the I would say, you know, the, the elevator pitch, you know, why put in a data lake house um, is that what it really does, forgetting everything I just said in terms of what it is, what it basically allows you to do is to really gain more confidence in the data that's sitting in your data lake, which is basically data sitting in probably like a parquet file in cloud object storage like Amazon, you know, you know S3. Um, and the idea here is it's bringing acid consistency. In other words, it gives you confidence that the data that you're getting out of there um, is consistent, it's current, and it's valid. So if I think of this correctly, I, believe it or not, I'm just 
coming up to speed with the concept of Apache Parquet, which is an object file type for storing data. And this is a pretty low level uh, file type, if I, if I understand correctly. So injecting this in, into something like a data lake house is a fairly simple process. Okay, let's let's get into a little bit of the uh, get into a little bit of the structure of the structure of what's in a, a data lake and a data lake house. At the bottom is your physical layer, <clears throat> excuse me, and that's your cloud object storage. That typically S three is the default standard, but it could be something like you know MinIO um, or, or Google Cloud Storage or Azure Blob Storage or a or you know you know ADLS. Um, whatever, something that basically is cloud object storage. That's your physical. That's your physical layer. The uh, advantage of cloud object storage, or I should say, object storage, because it doesn't have to be in the cloud, is that it's very economic. It's a very economical way and uh, uh, to store data, and and its durability is proven. So you have lots of data, and you want to and you want to keep it for a while. Object storage, you know, is going to be the place you put it. You're not going to put it, let's say, in block storage, which is a lot more expensive. Now. Within object storage, you're storing files, and there are many different types of files that could you know could go in there. You could have you, know, you could have JSON data, you could have CSV you know, you know files. Parquet happens to be a columnar you know you know format you know kind of a, a columnar format for you know for base you know um uh, for files you know which is kind of sort of equivalent to the way that analytic databases store you know, stored, you know, data, they, they tend to store them in columnar formats. The idea is you're sorting by field rather than by row, which is the actual, you know, line item, because in analytics, you don't care about individual line items. You care about what is the minimum, what's the mean here value in this field, you know, or what's the mean or max. And, and you're also looking, you know, I mean, so you're basically looking at what are the, the, the you know, the, the typical values in a particular column or field. And so Parquet is a columnar file format. It's not the only one out there. There's also ORC, for instance. But Parquet has become, I would say, the de facto standard. It's an open source standard. Um, it's become pretty much the open source, you know, the de facto standard for storing columnar data in cloud object storage with S3, Amazon S3 being the de facto standard there. Um, what a data lake house does, but the thing is, so that's fine in terms of being able to analyze data. But when in Parquet, you're not going to have anything like you know, you know, transactions and transactions we're not talking about turning this into an online transaction system, like an ATM system. We're talking about transactions where basically I do an update to data and I want to make sure that update did not get corrupted. So I don't have data that was partially updated here and fully updated there and not updated over there with acid. Basically it either commits or it doesn't. And so that's, as I said, that's really, that's really the, you know, as I said, the, the elevator pitch and what, a lake house does is it puts a table format that's acid compliant on top of data that sits in cloud object storage in a you know in a basically a supported a popular file format you know usually parquet and then on top of that it puts this table structure and then from that as i said acid is really the most important thing it's, it's the raison d'etre there are a lot of other cool things you can do once you have that table format because then you can start to get a lot more granular and how you manage basically permissions. In other words, does this, you know, can I access this data? Or in what type of form can I access this data? You know, and how, and should I encrypt or mask this data? And when you have a table format, you can be very selective. Whereas 
if I just stored in a parquet file, I would have to do, it would have to be all the data would have to you know, adhere. I, I could either get access to that whole file or not. So having it in a table format allows a lot of nice things with regard to you know, govern, you know, governance you know, and, and access control. And in turn, uh, because basically um, sorting through a table uh, is a lot more efficient than sorting through a, than doing a whole file scan, it also provides performance benefits. So as I said, ACID, you know, ACID support is really you know, the key thing, but with that, since you have a table structure, it brings all these other good things. So let me walk through some use cases. So that I understand, if I have the just flat parquet file, I can store it in my S3 compliant uh, storage system, whether that's online or some other object right. storage that has an S3 interface. I get a consistent API and interface to cheap and deep storage. So I can, uh, and the parquet format is generic and open enough that I can. Uh, uh, store and share that using basic cloud technologies. Right. So this is very useful for exporting and sharing data in known uh, infrastructure. Now, if I want to do something more interesting with that data, so uh, uh, run uh, advanced analytics against, I need some layer of translation or abstraction, so I have assets. So this gives me a table structure. I can do, again, as you mentioned, governance, et cetera. So there's use cases for both. Like mm -hmm. if I want, if, if I just have raw data and I want somebody to uh, do some type of ETL and translation on that data down the line, the probably most efficient way to get it to them is Parquet because it's a open standard it's, e it's easy to transfer, it's easy to store, maybe not as easy to work with, but easy to store. If I want to do analysis against that data, I want some additional layer. Am I following this correctly? Well, put it this way, pretty much so. Um, the, one, the, the one difference here, and I think you're really, you know, you're really kind of hinting towards that. And this is also the reason why I say that the lake house will not replace the data lake, is that the lake house in effect you know, basically overlays a relational table structure, which is fine basically if you're used to, you know, if you're doing analytics, but if you're a data scientist and you want to work with this data raw or you're putting this into some sort of, you know, you know, building, you know, building some sort of machine learning model, you may not want to be bound by the restrictions of all, of, of all those tables. The, you know, as I said, the, the downside will be is that the data may not be, you know, may not be current or, you know, or, or asset transactionally correct. But the thing is, if you're training a model and you're doing it with large, you know, you know, reams of data, you're probably okay because basically, because you know, this is not going to be transactional data. I mean, it's not going to get refreshed. I might be working with some geospatial data from NASA or something like that. Exactly. Something that's very static. Exactly, and that's not going to readily, you know, you know, fit into relational, you know, into relational basically table structure per se. On the, I mean, I mean that type of data, for instance may be very well suited, say, for JSON. You know, I mean, number one, it probably comes naturally in JSON format. It tends to be nested files. And there's certainly ways, you know, you know, to work with JSON relationally and vice versa. And Oracle's actually done some fairly cool things there. But on the other hand, if you don't want to, you know, it depends on how you're looking to use the data. Um, and so if you want to use it in a form that, that's, that's, that, that you can access relationally, a lake house is great. Now, just to kind of 
you know, make the, you know, kind of compound matters a little bit, which is that uh, you talk to the snowflakes of the world and say, fine, the data, you know, they want to basically appeal to the data scientists. And so they're, you know, saying, hey, you know, through Snowpark, you can basically get this data and you can use, you know, um, you know, you know, you know, you know, Python routines that are implemented as user defined functions. And they're working very closely with Anaconda there. And they're doing some interesting work, and I'm looking forward to getting together with them uh, at the end of June. Uh, you know, you know, to learn where they've gone with that. I did have some, you know, some good discussions with them last year when they really kicked off the relationship. So it's not to say that once you go into a lake house, you can't do this data science or whatever. It's just to say that a lot of data scientists might prefer not that they might see that having data in a relational table structure might be a bit of a good strength for them. So if I'm a CTO, enterprise architect, and I'm trying to create mass appeal AI capabilities, training data, inferencing data, collecting the data, storing the data. Where does the data lake house such as IBM Watson X dot data fit into my strategy? Where it fits in your strategy is if you basically want to um, expand on the traditional analytics that you're performing. And you may also be doing some, some data science there. As I said, it's not impossible to, uh, you know, it, certainly it's not impossible to do data science, you know, within, you know, within a relational table format. If you, you know, if your data scientists are willing to work with it, with data that's already been, already been structured you know, per se. So where it fits in primarily, what I see the lake house for me primarily is it really extends the data warehouse to the data lake and treats the data in a data lake as a first class citizen. And the reason why I say that is that before this, you could do federated query from a data warehouse to data sitting, you know, in a cloud object store, but you wouldn't get that transactional consistency. You wouldn't basically, you know, be able to you know, enforce all, all the goodness of, of governance and get the performance advantages. So what this does is it's bring that data that's in the data lake, that's in S3 storage or similar. Um, it's you know, making it a first class citizen in your data warehouse. It basically expands the scope of your data warehouse. And with the, with the economics of storage and the economics of, of cloud compute, you can now make that data warehouse basically, you know, you can really stretch it. That's where I see where it fits. So yeah. let's talk about this from a practical sense as I'm working through it. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, the lower down the data stack we go to, the less structured the data. The less structured the data, the more power I have to kind of look at the raw data and reimagine it. Right. But that's like getting a box of Lego. Like, okay, I, I have a box of Lego and I want to create a Millennium Falcon. Wow, I need a lot of skill to get from the box of Lego to the Millennium Falcon. Heck yes. If I want a if I if the end object is that I want a Millennium Falcon, but I want some customization, then I can buy a kit, and the kit comes with instructions. But I'm not going to uh, end up building a Star Trek Enterprise from that kit. I am going to buy, I'm going to build variations of a Millennium Falcon. It's going to look, you know, it, it might you know have some custom customized takes on it, but that's it. So as an enterprise architect, if you're servicing a broad uh, set of people who uh, have business objectives, those business objectives have to be aligned. 
in order if you're using a data lake warehouse you know you want some you know some people are going out doing geospatial type models and another group of people are going out and doing uh, large language models and yet another group of people are doing uh, models with molecules one that data isn't going to be the same and then two the data houses are going to be independently different for each one of those use cases based on the desired result am i grokking this i no i think you're i think you're onto something there because the thing is again I was saying before, the lake house is not going to be the answer to everything. I think, you know, I think what you're going to see is kind of like, it's sort of, uh, it's an extension of kind of like the sort of like the levels of where you're kind of graduating. Just like saying before, like, you know, starting like you're just doing a little prototype. So you're just going to take Lego blocks and just assemble them, you know, just, you know, for what you have to get a primitive idea. Once you have an idea, then you're going to start to get kits that basically give you, you know, you know, pieces that are more pre-configured for the task. And so the way I see it is that the data lake is essentially those raw Lego blocks, and that's for experimentation and exploration. Also, again, and the data lake is going to be for data that's not going to necessarily, you know, it's not going to necessarily fit in a lake house. And the thing is, it includes basically, you know, large language models are not about structured data. They're about language, you know, as they are. Same with geospatial. Now, there is relational data you can extract out of all this, but it would be for different purposes. Um, so on one hand, you are definitely still going to have data lakes that are going to be special, that will be special purpose, whether it be for exploration or for, for the types of modeling uh, that you cannot do with relational data. Atop that, you'll then have the lake house. We're doing more of the extended, you know, analytics that, you know, that, you know, that you perform. Um, and then there still will be a role for the, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the data mart or the specialized data warehouse, because you're not necessarily going to have like, you're not always going to necessarily need petabytes of data to find out which sales rep did, which did best in which territory last quarter. And let's we kind of wrap this up into a bowl with the <laughs> WatsonX.governance. So as I'm looking at my, all the challenges around governance and data, and having my data in a data lake house or the capability provided by a data lake house, how does that connect to governance? Oh, it's, that's a good question. And this is discussion. This is basically the beginning of an ongoing discussion I've been having with IBM. Because when you look at, you know, when you look at governance in AI, you know, AI has basically two, you know, you know, two components, two ingredients. One is the model, the other is the data. You can't have, I mean, you need two to tango. And right now, the way IBM, and I think this is going to be subject to change, uh, but right now, Watson X dot governance is all about model governance. It's not about data governance. Mm. Data governance will, would at least at this point be handled by Watson X dot data. What I've talked to IBM about is you need to find a way to bring these together. Yes. Which I think they're still figuring out. So, Tony, where can folks find your musings? Where can they find your DB Insight? Okay, well, all the insights that I have from DB Insight comes from DB Insight, which and DB is short for database. So D is in David, B is in boy, insight.io. Um, that's where you can find me. And on that, uh, and on my site, I have links to all of my you know public research. 
And I also have links to, you know, to all of my videos and podcasts, such as what we're talking about today. All right. If you want to find out more about the CTO Advisor, you can follow us on the web, thectoadvisor.com. Uh, it, it's funny. You mentioned some people like to add an S to the end of data DB Insight. Some people like to uh, add an S to the end of CTO Advisors. They did that at IBM. It's, it's only me. I'm, I'm the primary CTO advisor at the CTO Advisor. You can reach me on Twitter at CTO Advisor. Talk to you next CTO Advisor podcast. Thanks, Tony.